Thank you for joining us. Welcome to The Hollywood Growler. The Hollywood Growler podcast brings you everything you need to know from the world of craft beer in Southern California and beyond. I'm your host, Dan Kern. My partner is industry insider, Connor Simpson. This is our second episode, and we are very excited to be recording today live at All American Brew Works. All American Brew Works owner, Ryan McHugh, started as an award-winning home brewer and is continuing to provide very high-quality product on a commercial scale. We will be sitting down to ask Ryan to tell us all about All American Brew Works in just a few minutes. Then we're going to sample some of the tasty beers that they make, that they brew here so that we can tell you all about it and get you over to Anaheim to visit this veterans owned and operated tap room and sample their beers for yourselves. Each episode, we'd like to bring you some news and notes from the world of beer and brewing. We call it the Hollywood Growler Headline. Here's Connor with this week's story. Thanks, Dan. Uh, the Hollywood Growler Headline for this episode uh, comes to us from Brewery Omegang in Cooperstown, New York. For the Throne is the latest Game of Thrones themed beer from Omegang and will be released in time to celebrate the final season of Game of Thrones premiering in April on HBO. And if you haven't heard of Game of Thrones by this point, I mean, you're under a rock. So, but uh, anyways, For the Throne is described as a strong gold male. It is co-fermented with Pinot Grigio and Vinois grapes. According to the brewer's notes, the beer is bottle conditioned with champagne yeast and has a dry flavor with fruit forward notes. That is this episode's Hollywood Growler headline. Back to you, Dan. For updates on this invasion of the wine walkers on the seven breweries, along with all of our Hollywood Growler headlines, you can follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Growler, hashtag Hollywood Growler, Instagram, and all of your favorite social media platforms. Connor and I are here at All American Brew Works with owner Ryan McHugh. Thank you for sitting down with us today, Ryan. You have a very cozy and conveniently located uh, tasting room here in Anaheim on La Palma. Thank you. Glad to have you guys. Thanks for having us. Um, first, uh, will you tell us exactly where All American is located so that our listeners can come over here and find the tasting room and sample your beer? So our address is 5120 East La Palma Avenue, Suite 103 here in Anaheim. Uh, we're actually the start of what's been dubbed the La Palma Beer Trail. So we're the furthest, furthest brewery east. And then as you continue west down La Palma, you end up hitting about seven other breweries. So a lot of people come out on the weekends and make the trek across all of them. So this is like stop number one. This is stop. It's either number one or the last, depending on which <laughs> side you uh, you get going. So you get uh, very polite tourists or very drunk drunk tourists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get both sides of the spectrum, nothing That's in the good. middle. That's awesome. Um, American uh, Brew Works is a little unique. Uh, you've incorporated uh, you and your father's military service into the image of your brewery and the marketing. Uh, can you tell us about your service? Uh, so I was never in the military, uh, but my dad has been in the military for around 30 years and he's still in. Um, he actually just got promoted last week into Chief Warrant Officer 4, wow, uh, which is a pretty good deal for, for Chief Warrants to get to that four level. Um, and then we have another business partner um, that is also in the reserves with my dad. He's a Marine uh, reservist. He did active duty Marine Corps service uh, for eight years, and now he's a Marine Corps reservist. Um, so obviously we have a big passion for the military and for this country. So when we were sitting around thinking about what route to go with branding and what we wanted to represent in the market, that was the, the direction we decided to go. And we're making it a point as we grow to also give back to the veteran community. Uh, we just did an event last weekend for Patriotic Service Dogs of America. They provide service dogs to injured veterans. So a uh, percentage of the proceeds went to them to help support their cause. That's great. Can you say that charity again? It's called Patriotic Service Dogs of America. 
Okay, and people can find that online, I'm sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you started out as a home brewer and then it, things kind of grew from there. Can you can you kind of give us the the Cliff's Notes version of your story and how many years it's taken you to get to this point? Sure. Uh, I started home brewing about 10 years ago. Um, I think I took the route of most home brewers. I started with uh, just a stovetop extract sugar kit um, that actually didn't turn out good. Um, <laughs> I wanted to do a honey blonde, which was has kind of become our honey blonde lager, uh, barely their blonde that we serve on tap here. That was the very first beer I ever brewed. And I didn't take into account that honey has fermentable sugar in it. Uh. So I, I brewed the, the kit and then, and then put, uh, I think I put about three pounds of orange blossom honey into a five gallon batch and ended up basically wow. with a mead, oh, super fusel <laughs> alcohol mead. So um, luckily I, I kept with it. Um, grew fairly quickly into wanting to do the all grain professional style brewing where you build your own recipes, pick out your specialty malts and design your flavor profile around uh, what you want. From there, I branched out into doing some competitions. Uh, some of my home brews won some awards. Um, so I became popular fairly quickly with all my friends uh, because I had a six tap kegerator at the house. It was always full of beer. So. <laughs> Uh, word got out that I was making good homebrew and, and friends came and we did some kegs for some parties and some weddings for friends. And it just, we kept getting asked more and more to, hey, can you do stuff for my birthday? Can you do stuff for my party, my wedding? So uh, me, my dad and my buddy, we sat down and made the decision, hey, let's go pro with this thing. That's so awesome. um, a lot of money and a lot a lot more time later than what we thought it was going to be, and here stands All American Brew Works. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. Um, yeah, you know, there's just Definitely. so much equipment and so much that goes into making sure your facility has all the water and and everything yeah. else it, it needs from the city. Yep. Um, but you've got a really nice place here. You've got a really nice suite um, in a very comfortable room. Bunch of TVs to come watch some sports. Also, and there, it's like you know, in a business park over here. So it seems. I'm sure you get people on their lunch break. I mean, shh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why we open early on Fridays. Is yeah. uh, we definitely will get an afternoon crowd in here. Mm -hmm. um, so you're really uniquely positioned to tell us uh, about the differences between large scale, small scale home brewing, large scale home brewing, and then brewing on a commercial scale. Um, can you tell us uh, about your jump from? Uh, just some all grain, small home brewing batches to uh, 15 barrel batches to what you're doing now? Sure. Uh, software, brewing software, and there's a ton of them on the market, is a brewer's best friend. Um, so other people a lot smarter than me have sat down and taken all the equations you find in brewing books and automated it in home brewing software and commercial brewing software. So part of it was as simple as just scaling up and saying hey i was doing a 15 gallon batch now i'm doing a 300 gallon batch mm -hmm. and some of the stuff um scales up you know linear with that so your grains uh for the most part depending on the efficiency of your equipment um, scale up almost one for one the hardest part to figure out is hop utilization because you extract a lot more bitterness from your hops on commercial size tanks. Um, so you can't just scale up your hop ratio one for one like grains. You gotta do some test batches, figure out exactly how much utilization you're getting from your kettle, how much bitterness you're getting. 
and scale around your your hopping profiles based on that. Totally. And what was that first experience that you, when you went from small homebrew to big scale when you had all the tanks and everything, all the equipment, how was that first brewing experience? Did it go as smooth as you wanted it to go or was it, were there some missteps and? Uh, it, I, I was a little lucky because I had a lot of friends in the brewing industry. Mm -hmm. As a home brewer, I'd been brewing for so many years that I made a lot of friends that were brewers. So mm -hmm. probably two years leading up to us actually opening this spot, I would go after work and brew on larger scale commercial okay. equipment with friends to learn um you know the proper cleaning of commercial tanks the the proper hookups of the pumps and how to work everything safely and efficiently so that gave me a huge step up when i did brew my first batch here but um at the same time there were a few little few little quirks we had to figure out the main one was uh mash temperature so you know you you add hot water, you mix it in with your grains and, and you mash in. Mm -hmm. well, depending on the temperature of your mash is kind of where your fermentable sugars are gonna end up depending on the beer style you're making um, in a nutshell. So you have to get that right ratio of what temperature hot water do we come in with to mix in with our grains to end up at um, the temperature you want your final mash rest to be at. So. That took probably five, six batches for us to really dial in. Okay, if the temperature outside is, you know, 70, we know we're gonna lose 12 degrees or whatever. I so see. it took a little bit to learn that infusion uh, mix. So you really so, have to learn to adapt to a yeah. lot of like, different scenarios that's going on outside of the actual, you know, what's in the tank. You have to yeah. consider the outside forces. That's and learning your equipment. I think it yeah. just, I mean, it's still, I'm trying to think we've done, in the year and a half we've been open, we've brewed close to 200 batches on our three and a half barrel brew house. And we're still, you know, learning different ways to to tweak it and get our efficiency better and, and dial it in. Awesome. So your system is a three and a half barrel system? Yes. So our brew house is three and a half barrels and then we double batch into seven barrel fermenters. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that is uh, compact. I was... Uh, I was kind of sticking my head sort of in the back to see what was going on back there. Yeah. And I, I was like, well, there must be a little bit more around the corner that I'm not seeing, but you guys are, you guys are efficient. Yeah. We're, we're a small setup here. Our buildings, uh, it's only about 2,200 square feet, give or, or change in either direction. And our actual brewing area in the back is probably only a third of that. Our cold storage takes up a chunk and then the tasting room takes up a good portion. So we have dry storage. We lease about another probably thousand square feet of just dry storage for grains and glassware and stuff across the alley back there. Hmm. Okay. Um, but it's a tight operation and we're bringing in three more fermenters. So it's about to get even tighter oh, and we're looking at a seven barrel brew house. So it's going to get even tighter back there. That was actually my next so. question is uh, with the three barrels, three and a half barrel system, how many fermenters you currently have, but you kind of answered that. Yeah. Um, you're adding three more. How many do you have right now? We have three fermenters and one bright tank. Okay. And then we're going to bring in three more seven barrel fermenters, and that'll still leave us room to bring in either one more seven or one more 15 barrel down the road. So that's the next big step. Um, are you concerned that thereafter you're going to run out of space? Uh, do you have any ideas what you're going to do next? Our hope, and this is just fingers crossed that the stars align in the right direction, that one of these buildings on the other side of the back alley to us opens up and we can... Um, install some lines to brew here and pump to a fermentation building okay. across the way. 
So there's a, a catwalk in the back. So our hope is we can get one of those buildings and put in a stainless uh, feed line from here to another building. Oh, that'd be really cool. So you'd, you'd brew here, fill the tanks here, and then if we're filling the tanks in the other spot, we would pump it through the stainless lines. That's awesome. So, is, is there any like um, legalities around that? Or are you guys kind of able to just make that line without anybody causing a fuss about it or we'd have to get a second uh permit for the second location because your your alcohol production permit is based around where you ferment it's not where you brew oh i see so there's some breweries that actually brew off site and then truck into their fermentation location so you just have to hold a manufacturer's permit for whatever license you're manufacturing you're, you're fermenting the alcohol in so. i see we we'll have to do that, okay. and that's not a huge. It, it's uh, for all all the negativity we heard about dealing with ABC when we first were getting going. They've actually been really helpful and were really easy to work with for us. It's cool. cool. Well, I know that seemed maybe a little bit technical, but I can I can tell you our our listeners at home are going to be interested in what it what it really takes to to scale up. Um, so many times, all of us just go to the tap rooms and just have a beer, and we look around and we kind of see everybody working and we're wondering what's really going on back there you know we see the tanks but we don't know all the ins and outs so thank you so much for sharing that yeah no problem i appreciate that um with uh well you have a a pretty good team working right now uh tell tell us about your team who are your regular your regular brewers and your regular employees so we have uh trying to count in my head right now um We have five bartenders, part, they're all part-time bartenders that help us out. Um, John's our lead bar, bartender. Um, he's in here three, four nights a week. He's been with us since the very beginning. And um, he pours most, most nights for us. As far as the brewing team goes, uh, I take on the main responsibility for the brewing operation. My dad helps out. And then we have two other assistant brewers that help with tank cleaning, brewing, um, whatever we need done in the back, keg washing. So, so it's a total of four that are the main brewing kind of team outside of you. There's three more guys. Three more, that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know that you have a sort of a small canning crowler up front, or what do they call it? Crowlers, crowler, right? Yeah, yeah. Crowler. crowler machine. It's a up growler front. in a can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a? Have you done any canning, or are you doing any distribution? What? Uh, what's uh, What's next for? For all American in terms of getting the beer out into the world. Sure. Um, so we don't do your traditional crowler, which is your 32 ounce can. We do a mixed four pack of 16s. So nice. people can actually come in and pick one of the mini beers we try to keep on tap and fill a mixed four pack to go. Um, and that's that's solely in the tasting room. We don't move the cans outside the tasting room. When we first opened, we were doing some minimal distribution just in the local area. We picked a like 10 mile radius and we were trying to get some kegs out. but we learned fairly quickly. Uh, luckily enough, the tasting room was so busy that we were actually running out of certain beer styles in the tasting room because we were moving them out to distribution. So with trying to run off of three seven barrel fermenters, we learned real quick that distribution wasn't really in our cards at at the at this moment. So distribution is probably going to be a few years away for us we need to get some more tanks in probably need to get that spot across the way we talked about a bigger cold storage and bring in some much bigger 15 barrel tanks to uh, our 30 barrel tanks to ferment in um 
So we're, we're tap room only. You got to come in to get it here. Uh, you'll find us at a lot of the local beer fests showing off our beers. Um, you know, our ultimate goal is we, we want to get into distribution, but we want to open some other tap rooms around Orange County also with oh, okay. food. So that's kind of our growth plan. Did you say with food? With food, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What kind of food are you guys thinking of having at your new tap rooms? Uh, we're actually working on getting the city to sign off on the plans to put food in here. Um, it's going to be a deli sandwich, uh, hot and cold deli sandwiches. So hopefully once we get those in, um, we're going to actually expand our hours and open earlier in the day across the rest of the week too. So with bigger locations, when we open more, our ultimate goal is to do barbecue and sandwiches is what our, our plans are. I figured I, I, I was going to say barbecue kind of seems like your guys style. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, it's totally laid back in here. I mean, I think last time I came, you guys had a barbecue truck in the back even and just kind of fit with the vibe in yeah. here. So that's awesome. Yeah. My buddy who is my third business partner, um, Eric, he owns a barbecue catering company, Half-Assed Barbecue. So he's going to help us with the food side of it and kind of take the lead on the food. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Everyone loves good barbecue and it pairs well with good beers. Oh, so. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, your clientele is a, is a good slice of life here in Orange County. Um, it's, you know, with, a, with the All-American branding um, from the outside, people might think that, you know, it's a bunch of VFW type guys sitting around, but that's not really the vibe in here at all. It's very laid back and uh, very welcoming. Um, tell us about, uh, tell us about some of the people who come through. Sure. Yeah. We get an awesome mix of, of people that come through here. Um, get with the college being not too far in Fullerton, we'll draw a good college crowd. There's, um, you know, Anaheim, there's a lot of a residential over here in Anaheim Hills, Yorba Linda, um, that, that brings down a lot of, a lot of people for us. Um, what shocked me was we do get a decent amount of traffic coming through before Ducks and Angels games. Considering how far away we are, I didn't think we'd see that, but we do get a lot of people on game day stopping in here, having a couple beers, and then continuing west to get uh, get out to the games. So you got like people coming on the way to the game, stopping yeah. in. That That's good though, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, any, any stadium's good for surrounding businesses, yeah. even though that you guys are little up the 57 from them i mean that's that's awesome yeah it's good to see that we'll get uh, on the weekends we'll get your your beer trucks you they'll hit you know five six breweries people rent them out especially with so many being right here in this area they'll stop in with 40 50 people come in have some tasters and then move on to the next one yeah. we have a oh, sorry i cut no, you off a little okay. bit i see we have a, a ton of regulars that we've come to know over the last year and a half too and that's been awesome just people those return customers that come in and Love the vibe, love the feel, love the beer. And we do music on Friday nights. Um, so we get get a lot of people come in and relax, drink beers, listen to some good mood music. So it's a good atmosphere. Uh, what kind of mu what kind of music acts are you having? Are you having like a solo guitarist or are you having, uh, you know, little little trios? What are, you, what are you doing? Most of them are solo, kind of cover artists with guitars. Some of them bring in like their auto mixers. So they'll have kind of the rest of the band playing through their, their speaker. Uh, we have a couple uh, duos. Heritage Harmonics is a group we have here a lot. They're a little veteran duo that does rock cover songs. They'll come in and rock the house. One of them plays guitar and sings, and the other guy plays a single snare drum. Hmm. So we have them in probably once a month, once every six weeks. They always bring in a good crowd. Right on. Um, what about, uh, what's, what's your big next step? We talked about how you're 
expanding with the fermenters in the back and how you're shooting for some cold food. Um, is there any uh, anything in between that that you're looking at doing? Any any gradual step ups? Our next big project that we're we're working on now with the beers is going to be OC Beer Week, which is starts the last weekend in uh, April and goes into that first week of May. So the stuff we're working on getting out is going to be geared towards um, OC Beer Week. We have our first barrel aged release will finally be ready. We have a couple Four Roses barrels sitting in the tasting room over by the bar that we're calling Stout and Smell Four Roses. <laughs> so that's a, a breakfast stout that we're going to bottle up and release during OC Beer Week. And then we're doing uh, two special can releases. We're doing a um, hazy triple IPA kind of braggot style. We're working with the meadery next door, Honeypot Meadery. Okay. So he's doing a, a stone fruit uh, mead that we're going to blend in with it. We're going to can and release that. You're going to blend a stone fruit mead with the hazy with IPA? With the hazy IPA. And it's going to be a triple IPA? It'll be a triple hazy IPA. So yeah. for our listeners at home, uh, tell us specifically what makes an IPA double or triple? A lot of people believe it's hop usage, which is actually false. It's your alcohol level will determine your IPA, double IPA, imperial IPA, triple IPA. So... We won't know exactly what this one sits at until we blend the meat into it and send it off to get tested, but we're thinking it's going to sit somewhere around the 12%, uh, 13% range. So that's going to be a that's going to be a strong beer. Yeah, <laughs> and it's going to have a good fruit character too. On the beer side, we're, uh, we're blending in two different types of peaches during fermentation. We're going to feed it with uh, white and yellow peaches throughout fermentation. And then he's doing, I believe, white and yellow peach for the mead. And then we'll blend it in. So is that going to give it a, a very fruit-forward nose, I would imagine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Should have a lot of the fruit on the nose. We're using Idaho 7 hops. If you're familiar with those, that gives you a, a big fruity, stone fruit uh, aroma and flavor. So we're going to throw those in there. And both the mead, which you don't see a lot of hop usage in meads, we're actually going to dry hop the mead with Idaho 7. Oh, awesome. And uh, double dry hop the beer side before we blend it. Um, tell us about your friends next door real quick, because sure. uh, most people probably don't know uh, that there is another, uh, I guess it's a meadery instead of a brewery, um, but right, it's literally in the next suite over. Tell us a little bit about them. So that's my buddy Alex. Uh, he just did his grand opening probably about three, four weeks ago. Finally got the place up and running. It's, it's going good. He makes, if you're not familiar with meads, uh, there's several different kind of styles of meads. Um, he focuses on... Um, the fruit forward, uh, a little bit lower on the alcohol. They're more session needs. He has some barrel age, higher alcohol stuff, but basically uh, it's a honey wine that he makes with different fruits, blends with different fruits to give him different uh, flavor variants. Um, I, I don't know very much about meat at all. So if I'm wrong, you just tell me. Uh, when you do it uh, with a, a less alcohol, does that make it more syrupy or less syrupy? Because a lot of people, when they think mead, they think uh, something that's very heavy yeah. and, and sugary. It all depends on the way you finish it out because during fermentation, your yeast is gonna eat all those sugars, anything you feed into it anyway, so it's gonna dry it out. Okay. So it, it all depends on how he back sweetens it when it's done. So he has some that he calls dessert meads that are heavier on the fruit end um, he does one with blueberry that uh, I think he calls I think he calls it IHOP and, <laughs> and that's a it's a heavier syrupier 
you know, dessert, like when you think dessert wine, it's, it's sweet. And then he does other stuff that's drier where he does the fruiting during fermentation. So you get those fruit characters, but not necessarily that sweet, heavy body from the sugars. All right. So you're going to get two for one. If you come visit, uh, the all American brew works, you're gonna be able to stop next door and, uh, try, try something new, try mead, something that you maybe have never tried before. Um, thank you so much for, for sitting down and talking with us. Uh, let's, let's taste some beer. Why don't you walk yeah, us through what it. we have here? Sweet. So the flight that you have in front of you, we call it our founding father's flight. It's the, the six main beers that we keep on tap or try to keep on tap year round. There are times where one may disappear for a couple weeks as we're finishing it up. Um, but these are our core six beers that we try to hit a wide range of beer style spectrums on. So we knew when we opened up, we didn't want to be one of those breweries where you walked in and you looked at the beer list and it was seven IPAs and maybe a light lager. Totally. We wanted to hit that wide range of, of beers. So that's what we tried to do with the flight that's in front of us here. Um, this first one is the beer I referenced to on the, my first beer I ever made that I did wrong. So this is a, um, a blonde lager that we put orange blossom honey in as it's fermenting. So you get a little bit, the sweetness doesn't come too, through too much. You get a little bit of it, but it uh, ferments out for the most part. So you'll get a little bit of the, the citrusy character from the orange blossom honey. I was going to say it has like a, it's a good balance. It's not overly sweet. It has like a nice citrus kick to it. That's, that's well done. It also has, um, kind of a silky finish that reminds you of honey. I don't know if the honey actually causes that or if it's something else in the process, but um, you can definitely taste sort of a smooth, silky note. Yeah, and we over, we carbonate this one pretty high since it is a light lager, it only sits at 5%. So you that bubble on your tongue will give you that, uh, that sensation I think you're kind of describing. Well done. Um, tell us about the, uh, the ABV and uh, some, of the, some of the tasting notes here. So, like I said, this one sits at 5% ABV. Um, when we brew it, we keep the malt base pretty simple. We just do a, a traditional pale American-style pale malt for most of it. Um, we add in a little bit of Gambrinus honey malt to also help accentuate kind of that uh, honey sweetness. Um, barely hop it hardly at all, just enough so it's not over, over sweet, over cloying. Mm -hmm. And uh, feed it with some, I think for a seven barrel batch we feed it with about 10 gallons of orange blossom honey mm. when it's in the fermenter because there's a when i was working at hangar 24 they have their double and they use a lot of the honey blossom as well on that beer and that's exactly what it remind me of but just without the hops yeah. so it, it, this is it tastes really it's, it's like really well balanced i mean you. if you wanted to have an ipa i mean it probably tastes just like that one but um i mean it's I love that you did a really good job at making sure those flavors are like on point, but it tastes easy going. And like you said, the carbonation's high. And blondes, uh, blondes just have this habit of being, you know, boring. And, yeah. Uh, nobody would ever accuse, accuse this beer of, of being flat or boring. So. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, that's what exactly what I was trying to say. It's not like, you know, just a simple sweet treat. It's, it's got some, you know, we did it as a lager too. I used to do this beer as an ale when I first started doing it. Um, so if, you're, if, if the listeners aren't familiar with kind of the difference between an ale and a lager, 
uh, an ale yeast strain ferments at a little bit higher temperature. It ferments in the mid to high 60s into the low 70s sometimes. And it's not as clean. You'll get more fruity notes out of it. Um, usually, depending on your strain, you'll get more of that, the yeast esters out of it. Um, so we did that when we first started brewing this. And we wanted to kind of switch it up and do something a little different than most blondes you see out on the market. So we started messing around with a lager yeast, which lager yeast ferment a lot colder. They'll ferment down in the low 50s. Um, they end up with, usually get a, a crisper, just cleaner, flavor profile the malts can shine through a little bit more sometimes like all those Coors Light commercials say yeah <laughs> yeah I always wondered though one of these days I'm gonna ask somebody at Coors uh, how you cold for you know they, they claim cold brewed I'm like how do you cold brew something yeah it's well, don't so they say uh, don't they say cold cold filtered or do they say cold brewed and cold filtered I don't know someone probably called them on it because they used to just say cold brewed mm -hmm. but I think you're right the last couple commercials it says like cold every stage of the way, cold filtered, cold lagered. So <laughs> like, well, you had to boil it some, yes. somewhere in there. So <laughs> there, had to be, there had to be a hot step in there somewhere. I, but, I mean, uh, I don't know, maybe they do it like a, like a French press or something with pressure, but I, yeah. don't, I don't see how they could with that industrial yep. size amounts of beer. Yeah. So we just kegged this today. Um, we go through this beer like crazy. This is one of our most popular ones in the tasting room, the blonde. I'm still talking about barely there blonde. Um, so it uh, it's a little cloudy still. Um, mm. That's another characteristic. The lager yeast takes a lot longer to fall out of the beer. Mm. But when it finally does, you end up with just that crystal clear, um, crisp beer. I would say oh. keep it as it is because with the cloudiness, I don't know what it is, but that just that was one of the yeah. better light beers I, I think I've had in a while. So, I mean, I can't get over just the diverseness of the flavor. It's not... It's not too light, it's not too sweet, it's not too dry, it's just perfect. So awesome, again, you. that was, I mean, you said it was keg today, so maybe that has part two with it. It's young, super young fresh. and Still fresh, fresh too. Yeah. yeah. Tastes great. We brewed it about six weeks ago. So our ales, we turn from brew day to keg day, usually in about three weeks. Okay. The lagers take a little bit longer to ferment out, and then we let them cold age for about another three weeks. Do you um you talked about clarity? Do you use any fining agents at all, or you just let the let the yeast fall out naturally? It depends on the beer, the lagers. I try to help it along with a product called Biofine. Mm. So it's a some of the products that are used, the gelatins. Uh, they're an animal kind of based product, and uh, we didn't we wanted to shy away from that because you do get asked that, like, hey, uh, you <laughs> get asked a lot about gluten, animal products, stuff like beer. that. Yeah, yeah. so. One of the benefits to Biofine is it doesn't have, uh, it's not an animal byproduct. So, and it works, it works well on everything but fruit pectins. It, it won't pull the fruit pectins out. So it'll still be cloudy depending on the type of fruits you use. So you're saying this beer is vegan? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> beer. There is no dairy or anything. Okay, well, I'm not beer. offended yeah. anymore. So I guess we can continue. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we dabbled a little bit on our 15-gallon size with gluten-free stuff, but we're still a ways away from, I think, doing that on the commercial. There's There truly is a different art to these breweries that can do these delicious gluten-free uh, beers. Is that, is that going to be rice-based when you do it as gluten-free? It used to be only like a sorghum base or like a rice base, but yeah. they it's become so popular over the years that a lot of these malting companies, they're 
they're doing different types of seeds and mm. and they're they're actually taking like rice and seeds and roasting them like you would to caramelize them like a caramel malt so you can actually get different flavors huh. out of the the gluten-free type uh stuff it's interesting yeah it's it's definitely its own uh, its own beast i, I was gonna sure. say my, my father got me this book and it's called it's a, a book on biotanic beers am i saying that correctly bio that's actually something i've never even heard of before okay. you'll have to tell me what the book was uh... so apparently they get all these beers and they try to match flavor profiles with roots and seeds okay. as you were just saying okay. instead of say traditional hops and malts they they go out and search for these certain roots and herbs and yeah they call them i think it's called biotanic beer i'm probably wrong saying that but um yeah i, I just thought maybe that was what you were talking about but apparently yeah. not I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah that's uh you know that's where beers originated hops weren't originally used when when beers started they balanced out the sweetness with spices and flowers and whatever they they could find before hops were actually found out to be an awesome uh, product of beer mm -hmm. all right uh we've got uh, six taster or five tasters left to go so we're going to move along just a little bit um why don't you tell us about the second founding father uh flight beer so this second one is called Blue Manchu. It's our blueberry, blueberry vanilla wheat. Um, a lot of people think it's gonna be sweet when you explain that to them, but it, it actually dries out uh, a little bit. Um, oh, the blueberry's very big on the nose. You'll get the blueberry huge on the nose. Yeah. We use an extract in this beer just cause I don't wanna color the beer blue or purple. Mm. Um, so we do use, we use real vanilla, um, but it is a blueberry extract for the flavoring. That is, uh, it's tasty. Yeah, it's it, it smells sweet and it's got a sweet taste, but it doesn't taste syrupy or heavy at all. Thank you. This is really good. So we go for our, our kind of inspiration, I guess you could say, for this beer was like a blueberry muffin or a blueberry pancake. Okay. So we use malts that are going to give you a more bready kind of backbone to it. And obviously the wheat is known to give you kind of that bready um, flavor profile. Um, so it's almost like the blonde. It's a... It's got some biscuit malt, pale malt, and flaked wheat in it. And then uh, after it's done fermenting, we age it on vanilla and add in the blueberry extract. And it's one of our, uh, this and then Liberty or Death, the beer we'll get to in a little bit. Those are our two most popular beers. Tell me what you mean when you say uh, aging it on vanilla. What does that mean? So it takes a little bit for the beer to pull the vanilla from the bean. Um, so you have to soak it, soak the beans basically in the beer for a week to two weeks. So you get that flavor, excuse me, that you're looking for. See, I've, um, I've added vanilla extract to a beer before, uh, just home brewing stove top type stuff to try and, um, I was calling it oatmeal cookie stout. Well, that's probably delicious. Yeah. It was, you know, it was yummy. Choo <laughs> choo. But, um, it, uh, for the, I, I never would have thought to, to age on a bunch of vanilla beans. Um, that's a that's a different process, uh, and you can really taste the vanilla. So it's 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 working. I don't know yeah. what you're doing exactly, but I'm interested. So there's a lot of different ways guys use vanilla extracts, or one of them, and then even extracts. There's there's different types of extract. There's kind of your vanillin, which is like your fake vanilla flavor extract, or there's places that sell true vanilla bean extract, which is basically they soak the beans in usually some type of alcohol to right, right. get the flavoring out of it. And then on the brewer's side, you can either use those extracts or 
you almost make your own extract in the beer by cutting up the beans and putting them in a spice bag and soaking them in the beer. Hmm. And some brewers will even soak it in like a vodka or an, its own. They'll make their own extract and then add that to the beer. Right on. Uh, how do how do you guys do it specifically? If you don't mind sharing a little trade secret there. Uh, well, depending on what I can get my hands on, because sometimes vanilla beans can be hard to get your hands on. Or the true vanilla bean extract is hard to get your hands on. Um, I prefer to actually buy true vanilla beans and put them in a bag and soak them in the beer. But there's times where we buy the the pure Tahitian vanilla extract, and we've used that a few times. Get good good flavor out of that. Right on. Uh, yeah, my uh, my uh, sister-in-law, her family has a, a vanilla extract uh, gourmet vanilla extract company uh, in I believe Mississippi oh, awesome. uh, called The Roots, and that's uh, I've gotten the opportunity to use some of that um, before. So yeah, there's I, I had no idea there were so many different kinds of high quality vanilla bean extract until yeah. you start really looking into it and, and you you know start talking to somebody who actually makes the stuff. Uh, there's a there's a lot of a lot of different brands out there and a lot of different methods. So thank no. you for sharing. That's sure. that's great. Um, what's uh what's uh what's number three here? So number three, the next two are going to be on the hoppier side. Uh, the first one is old school mixtape. It's our session IPA. Uh, it's brewed mainly with mosaic hops, but there's a touch of amarillo hops in there. So. Um, this um, is, tell us a little bit about uh, mosaic hops. It's just hops that you see more and more um, coming up in, uh, in IPAs. And tell us the difference between mosaic hops and amarillo hops. So I feel amarillo and mosaic kind of give you uh, a similar kind of citrusy profile. Amarillo is going to be a little more flowery, a little more fruity than mosaic. Mosaic is going to be more of that kind of pungent, uh, grapefruit, citrus. Uh, aroma and flavor to it um, so that's kind of what we were going for here you, you should get you know the notes of the grapefruit the the dank citrus flavors I'm sorry say the name of this one one more time this is called old school mixtape okay and then the second IPA that we're gonna be trying is called what renegade warrior okay so old school mixtape was designed for people that like kind of that hoppy profile, but this only sits at 4.7% alcohol. Okay. So you can drink a little bit more of it on a hot day and, and not feel too full, too heavy. Um, we keep the, the grain bill pretty neutral on most of our IPAs to let the hops shine. So this only has our pale, uh, our pale malt as the base, and then we do some flaked barley to help with the body and the head retention on it. And then um, just a tad bit of Caribbean, just for a little bit of color, a little bit of toffee, caramel flavor, but not too much of it. I'm sorry, say again what you do at the end for finishing? Uh, Caribbean is the malt that we use a little bit of. It's a, a caramel type malt, so it, uh, it'll give you a little toffee, a little bit of caramel aroma to it, flavor to it. Okay. So, just a little help of the balance of the Yeah, it helps balance it. Pop on the fruit side. Yeah, and I hope you don't mind me asking follow-up questions like that. I just no. want to make sure listeners at home get you know a little bit of insight things that are uh, sort of routine for for the brewers uh, are things that our listeners maybe have never heard before yeah uh, and I, I know everybody's interested in uh, because these these recipes are people just people just think oh you know people put three or four ingredients in the beer they put their barley they put their yeast they put their water and their hops and beer comes out but really the the variations are pretty much infinite and that's the 
the great thing about the craft beer industry is everybody's doing something different, um, yep. sometimes very dramatically different. And that's one of the things that attracted me to craft beer was the fact that you can do that. You know, there's thousands of specialty malt types out there. There's, you know, hundreds of hop varieties. Each will give you something a little bit different. There's hundreds of yeast varieties. Each one gives you something a little bit different. So you can definitely experiment and, and tweak to whatever you want to get to. So what'd you call brewing more so an art than let's just say that just, I don't know. A little more art than science. Well, yeah, yeah, a little more art than science. And there's definitely a huge science background to it. You know, a lot of people in the brewing industry now, I wasn't one of them. I didn't come up with a biology degree or chemistry degree or anything like that. But that is, with these brewing science programs popping up all over the United States, you are seeing a lot more uh, guys getting, guys and gals getting into brewing with chemistry degrees. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people that deal with yeast at the bigger breweries, they're biology majors, doctorates. You'd almost have to be to, to really manipulate yeast in yeah. an effective way. You'd almost have to have a hard science background. But yeah. I don't know anybody who, who's serious about yeast who doesn't. Uh, do, you, do you know anybody who's working on yeast just uh, sort of as a hobby? Or? No, I mean, I really the, the two people I know that are big in the yeast portion of the brewing industry, they both have biology backgrounds. Yeah. So, And so, you, you have to have the right environment at your brewery to to do that type of work too so we we reuse yeast um up to five generations as long as i don't notice any mutations in it so okay every batch i'm pulling samples putting it under a microscope making sure i don't see any any mutations in it we'll do a couple viability tests on it to make sure it's it's not it hasn't you know mutated into something different between batches and most yeast, as long as you do it in a sterilized environment like that, they say you can get four to five generations out of them before they start mutating. But you go to these bigger breweries like Stone or Garage, I mean, they're they're using the same yeast strain over and over again. They're breeding it in-house. They're, you yeah. know, it's, it's well, crazy. You see, you're becoming a biologist whether you like yeah. it or not. Though. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a science side to brewing, whether you have the background or not, that you have to understand. So, so do you try to stick to the same yeast strain for all the beers or do you change it up or, you know, what's the process for that for you guys here? Sure. Our, our year round beers other than the blonde lager are all uh, a California style neutral ale yeast that we use. We use the same yeast for those. And then the lager, uh, we use a European, a popular European lager strain for that one. Okay. But we'll experiment with. I mean, if you guys look at our menu board, we have not only our main six, but we're always bringing in different stuff, doing some rotation. So we'll experiment with different yeasts. Uh, we have a hazy pale ale on right now that we use the New England style uh, based yeast for. It's supposed to give you a more fruity, fruity characteristic. So we'll experiment with different yeast strains on different stuff. That'll be a lot more readily available once we get our, our new tanks in. We did that a lot when we first opened, and now it seems we've gotten to the point where we're Brewing the same six to eight beers over and over and over again. Just, to just keep them in, keep them in keep stock. Them in stock yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's a good problem to have, yeah. you know. So at least you have an audience that wants your beer, mm -hmm. which obviously is great, by the way. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the the big shocker for us. Um, you know, you didn't. You looked new. You looked. Um, not quite as big as some of the other breweries in the area came in and started drinking your beer and it's like, oh, this is, this is really refined. This isn't, 
this doesn't taste like somebody who just started. Oh, thank you. You know, so that was that was the big uh, the big turn on for us for sure, and I'm sure it will be for anybody who comes by. Come come take come take the Pepsi challenge. You'll uh, <laughs> I, prom I promise you'll be impressed with what they've got going on here. Um, this is a uh, this is the number four beer. This is the um, Renegade Warrior, and this is the not the first one was a session uh, IPA at 4.7, and this one's a little bigger. Yeah, this is a West Coast style IPA, so this one uh, comes in a little over six, six and a half, six three to six and a half is uh, where this one usually finishes is out at it jumps around on me a little bit sometimes <laughs> but yeah i mean what i can say well i came in the first week you guys ever opened and i tried everything on your menu because sometimes if i have the availability especially if it's close and there's a new brewery i'm gonna come try their whole board and see yeah. what they got to offer and you guys were already diverse even your first week so i mean you got your home brew awards for a reason so i mean and every brewery find it, you know, you're doing the minimal touches that you need as you go along. But it just seems like you already had an idea what what you wanted on the table. So yeah, it's really dialed in. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because you know some of the beers we just did when we were first getting going. Well, actually, two of our most popular beers. Um, I did a little. I messed with a little bit on the homebrew side, but they definitely wouldn't have been the beers if you asked me, like, "Hey, what's your signature beer going to be?" They wouldn't have been the beer. I would have said, "Oh, I," because I'm an IPA fan. I I grew up on IPAs, obviously on the West Coast. So I would have said, "Well, I hope my IPA. I hope my Imperial IPA takes off." But you know, it, it was different. It was our Blue Man Chew and our Liberty or Death, our Peanut Butter Porter and our Blueberry Vanilla Wheat that really stood out when we went to Beer Fest. That people kind of gravitated to our tasting room for after they tried it at beer festivals. So I was really shocked with, with that when we started going for sure. <laughs> you never know what you're gifting the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and also, um, damn it, I did that to you again. You did. I, I tried to skip Connor twice on uh, the last couple of tastings. It's like a tease. It's all the way over here. Dan's on the not handing me my beer. And we're going we're gonna to have a talk after the episode. Seriously. But it'll, he's getting reprimanded, but it's okay. We'll move along. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting my pay docked. Yeah. <laughs> we have so much of that. Uh -oh. A little windy. It's a windy the door the rest of the way. Sorry for the interruption. Got a wind blast. Oh, wow, that wasn't even somebody coming in. That was just the door That's, blowing open. The wind did it on its own. Yeah, we got the Santa Anas. Um, it's a St. Patrick's Day weekend here as we uh, record. It's Friday afternoon, so um, the weather's good, but the wind is the wind is high here in Orange County. And uh, I don't know, we might be able to edit out the wind noise, or we or we might be stuck with it. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> it might add a nice uh, background. Uh, you know, effect to it. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that's the other thing I was going to mention. Hey, we're recording live um, out at these breweries. We are not sitting in grandma's basement. Um, we are going out to the breweries. We were talking to the people at the breweries. I don't know if you, how much you can hear in the background, but there are people drinking at the bar and having a good time. So um, we wanted to capture some atmosphere here in the podcast, and we hope that you'll come out to these tasting rooms and visit for yourself because uh, it's it's really worth it. And we're hoping to capture some of that for you. So Renegade Warrior, um, what I get out of this, kind of what I was going for with this was almost like a candied tangerine or a candied orange. So we use a little bit more more caramel malt in this than with old school to give it kind of that sweet candy uh, background on the malt. And then we use Idaho 7 for kind of that sweet, fruity, citrusy, and then a ton of Mandarina Bavaria, which is, they named it Mandarina, kind of has that mandarin orange, uh, you know, profile to it. So 
that's what I was going for with this. That's what I get out of it. Um, depending on who drinks it, I, I get, hey, it's super fruity to me. I don't get a lot of the orange. But what I was going for, what I get out of it is that candied orange. That's how I describe it to people. So. It definitely has a little sweet kick to it, but it's really drinkable. It's almost like... um. Like those little cutie tangerines yeah. that you yeah. get for like snack. No, you did a good job on that. Uh, um, and a lot of people don't know this, but you know some beers have fruit added to them. But your casual beer drinker might not realize it's the hops and the yeast that more often than not give citrus flavors yeah. to um, beers that have, are described with a, a fruit nose or a fruit flavor on the front of it. Definitely. And the the tangerina hop that you're explaining is that more of a new hop that was introduced the last few years because i saw that first maybe i don't know two or three years ago when beers were actually starting to label it was that yeah. just a new hop that came out or was that something that was always there that people just discovered and were like oh we should use this so it's based out of germany um it has been around for a decent amount of time, I think like you pretty much just nail it on the head. I think it just started picking up uh, steam with the hazies and people were liking that orange citrus flavor and the oil content's good on it. So it, it carries through well into the beer without having to use a ton of hops. So I think it's just really picked up steam the last maybe three, four years, but it has been around for a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I was always curious about that because now, like like I said, last couple of years, I'm starting to see it more and more. Yeah. Breweries advertising it as it's some specialty. And I was like, is that, did someone just come up with that in the lab recently? Or they just, you know, it just caught, caught on. So. It's a little different than the normal kind of profile you get out of traditional German hops. Because most people when they think of German hops, they think of kind of the old style German lagers, like the the middle fruits, the Hallertau, you know, the Tettnangers, the... Those type of hops give you like that spicy floral bite you get in most like traditional German lagers. So this was something, you know, citrusy and fruity like this. That was something more they were doing in the U.S. So I got to say, this is my favorite one so far. This one's really good. It's one of my favorite hops. I love Mandarina. It's a great, it's a great hop. Well, that's a, that's a lot of botany too. You know, we've been talking about the biology of yeast. If you want to get different different hop strains, you, you have to know your botany also. It's another that's another science that I'm pretty weak on, honestly. Um, yeah. How do you uh, with all the new hops out there? How do you how do you pick? Is there um, particular um, growers or suppliers that you're partial to, or um, are you always looking for the next big thing? So we spot hop buy. There's a couple ways to do hop buying when you're a brewery. Spot hop's not the most efficient because you pay more per pound. But since we're not on a traditional, let's say, distribution schedule where we know we're going to brew 100 barrels of our IPA, so we know we're going to go through X number of pounds of hops, it makes more sense for us to spot buy, which basically means breweries that do have contracts sell portions of their contracts off to breweries that don't have hop contracts. Um, so it gives us the opportunity to experiment, too, because we're not stuck with, hey, we're we bought a thousand pounds of citra. We need to put citra in everything we do because we need to use it. So we pay a little bit more per pound, but it gives us the opportunity to really experiment with stuff. Um, backtracking a little bit to explain kind of contract buying. I didn't really get into that. So the, the breweries that do contract hop buying, you basically guesstimate or some breweries know for a fact how much they're going to brew of a certain beer. So you commit to that amount of hop 
purchase for the entire year. Some some go out five years, ten years, and you're committed to that whether you brew with it or not. So, you know, if you sign a five year contract on, you know, a hundred million pounds of Amarillo, and all of a sudden your Amarillo based beer isn't selling anymore, you're still buying that hundred million pounds of Amarillo. So it's interesting. It's a gamble. You you save money per pound um, but it's definitely a gamble trying to decide over the next say five-year period what you're going to be what you're going to be using now would you maybe trade with other breweries that might have the same problem with a certain hop that they're experiencing with say you have a bunch of amarillo and they have a bunch of citra and you're trying to make a citra beer and they're trying to make amarillo would does that happen in the industry or yeah so we're part of the orange county brewers guild which i think pretty much every brewery in orange county is part of the orange county brewers guild so we have a message board and we'll we'll share hey you know i'm i'm out of idaho seven does anyone have any extra yeah we have a ton of idaho seven or I need Citra, you have Centennial. So you do see that, some okay. trading between breweries, yeah. Okay. That's one thing I really did enjoy getting into craft beer is, yes, it's a competition. You know, we're trying to make money, so are the other seven breweries down the road. We're all trying to make good beer and make money off of it. But it's kind of a tight-knit family, too, where we also help each other yeah. succeed. So every, every one of us has the goal of wanting to see good craft beer succeed, which is fun. You don't see that in a lot of industries, you know? No. So. We actually, um, we did an episode, our first episode was at Bruheim, and that was one of the, the big things that they mentioned, because they're just, you know, they're opening up uh, in a big way. This is their grand opening weekend. And their brewer said, you know, if I ever really had a problem, I could make a couple of phone calls. Yeah. Because this community is so tight-knit, and there's so many breweries in the area with so many good people. Um, so that's that's nice to hear from other breweries also. Yeah, I think that's going to be a recurring theme. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, tell us about beer number five and six here. So number five um, has slowly grown to be one of my favorites. Uh, this is Storm the Beach. Oh, yeah, that, this one's great. I mixed mine up, but your guys' look good. I put my Liberty or Death where my Storm the Beach was supposed to go. So, oh, no, I actually poured me two Liberty or Deaths. All right. I didn't screw your guys' up. I can see by the color. Okay. This is one of my favorites. Fine, but... So tell us about Storm the Beach. So Storm the Beach, um, I explained to you guys a little bit before we started uh, recording that for the last year and a half, I've been tweaking this a little bit every time, trying to get it right where I right where I want it, and I think I finally um, have it there. So this is a American style red ale, and we were sitting down trying to think of, hey, what can we do to a red ale um, that would make it stand out a little bit? And at the time, you didn't see a lot of coconut. I'm like, hey, well, a lot of reds known for a little bit of chocolate, a lot of caramel flavor. What goes good with that? Coconut. So we uh, started messing with coconut in it. So we use three different uh, specialty caramel malts that range from uh, a caramel 20 all the way up to a caramel 120. Um, so you definitely get that rich uh, caramel, toffee, little bit of dark fruit flavors out of all the caramel malts we use. A little bit heavier body and then that coconut should come through just enough that you get it there on the back back end of it. Uh, even after you know a bunch of different samplers here, four different samplers, I can tell that the caramel, you know, and reds sometimes they come off a little thin. Yeah. Um, you solved that problem by making it, you know, a little bit more caramel forward. Um, it gives it a lot more depth. In fact, all of your beers really, you it, it seems like 
you find that something extra to keep it from tasting um, thin or one-dimensional. There's always, in my opinion, all the tasters that we've had have at least two or three notes that are that are worth talking about. Yeah. Um, and then the coconut, you're right, that is interesting. Even if you're not that big a fan of uh, coconut, this isn't like a German chocolate cake coconut. This is a, this is more of a, a sweet, uh, complimentary nose, almost like you're eating an Almond Joy or a Mounds Bar, you know? And uh, it's it's very good. And we use a fresh shaved coconut that's shaved right shaved by a, a supply company that we get it from, but it's it's not dried. It's a fresh shaved coconut, um, and we put shoot I think close to forty pounds in a seven barrel batch. So when it's done, yeah, we and it's still it it's not overpowering. When you hear forty pounds of coconut, you think like oh wow it's a coconut bomb, but uh, it's. We add it when it's completely done fermenting, we cool the beer down, and then we actually uh, recirculate it over a second container we have that we put the coconut in. So we'll pump the beer over the coconut for a few hours till it gets to that flavor we want, and then we'll shut it down. So that's a, that's after fermentation. That's after fermentation. Yeah. So it's it, when you're dry hopping, you usually put that in while fer while fermenting, right? Depending on the beer style, um, like old school and Renegade, I do all my dry hopping post fermentation on okay. that. Okay, that's good to know. But uh, a lot of the newer age stuff, the hazies, especially those, there's a. There's a lot of theories called biotransformation of your hops, and they say when you add your hops during fermentation, the yeast gives you different, um, almost mutates the hop oils and stuff, and gives you more fresh fruity notes than say maybe like a green, um, herbally note you might get, some people say, from dry hopping your traditional style. Um, I've experimented with both. I mean, we've done it all over. I've done beers where we did uh, all through fermentation to where we we dry hopped a little bit right when we ended up in the fermenter before fermentation even started and then dry hop through fermentation. And uh, I don't know, it mixed results. I think it just, just depends on the person trying it and maybe the hops and yeast you use too, so. But you would favor more towards the tail end, apparently. But that's the vibe I'm getting from you. Yeah, I. You know, it's your personal. So my your personal, personal opinion, taste. yeah, I I ferment either right at the end, or I I dry hop on my hazies. I'll I'll give it a little bit of time in fermentation, but only a couple gravity points. And uh, I'm I I I like to stick more to the original kind of science of letting it finish let some of that yeast get out of there so as as fermentation ends your yeast obviously falls out of the beer and goes down into the cone of your fermenter because it's going dormant it's got nothing else to eat so i i like to kind of let that process happen get some of that yeast out of the cone and then dry hop um, with less yeast in in uh suspension but well, let me it's their own and everybody you know i've i've had beers where you know, like I said, we ferment through fermentation, or we dry hop through fermentation, and it's still a good beer and good flavors. That's a, That was actually something I was going to ask you, because um, you talked about uh, using a fermenter that has a cone and is more industrial style. If you were going to do a homebrew batch and you wanted to do your dry hopping uh, with as little of the yeast still in suspension as possible after it had fallen out, uh, what would be the technique there? you would rack into an actual like secondary fermentation tank so you'll let primary fermentation finish in a tank and then however you rack on home brewing i used to i had one of those gravity feed kind of pump it till it 
comes out and then you had to put the tank that had the liquid in it higher and then it would feed down in it. So when I would do hoppy beers on the homebrew side, I would put my hops in, in a new fresh clean container and then I would rack into um, the new container, leaving the yeast bed behind. And next time I make an IPA, I'm going to do it exactly that way. And I'm sure some of our listeners at home are thinking, ah, oh, yes, that is how you would do it. <laughs> so thank yeah, you. That's, that. Yeah, that's uh, the best way I found. Free lessons here at the Hollywood Growler. You know, you're seeing a lot more. People are spending a lot of money on homebrew equipment these days. There's companies out there like SS Brew Tech where you can basically build a mini commercial brewery in your garage if you have the money. Glycol jacketed you know, 15 gallon conical fermenters and bright tanks. And it's funny you say that because online there's a, there's a whole community that's committed to basically showing off their pictures of their yeah. home. If you listen carefully, you can hear my wife somewhere a few miles away going, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have one guy, he's a regular for us. It's an avid, avid home brewer. He probably has more money invested in his homebrew setup in his garage than we have in tanks back here. So, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's fun. Well, uh, we're running a little bit out of time here, so why don't you go over this last beer for us, and yeah, and then we'll wrap up, and then uh, we'll go get on with our St. Patrick's Day festivities. There we go. So this last one's Liberty or Death. This has by far been our most popular beer since we opened. Um, like I kind of explained earlier, by by mistake almost, we just I was already doing the brown uh, porter base beer that it, it's made of, but I wasn't doing any peanut butter to it. Um, so there was one beer fest right before we opened, we went to to get our name out and I had some peanut butter extract. I'm like, yeah, what the heck? Let's throw this in here. Yeah. And did it. And um, it, I mean, it took off. It was, we had a line across the whole beer fest uh, set up. We actually blew through both half barrel kegs we brought before the VIP session was even over the first like hour and a half session of the beer fest. So it was pretty crazy. And I knew after that, uh, I think we're going to keep this around. So yeah, it's a good word of mouth you had there. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I feel like as we talk, they talk louder to try to talk over us. It seems like there's been an ebb and a flow. We'll see <laughs> yeah, how it comes yeah. out on the recording. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um, so it, you're gonna get a roasty. Um, it gets compared to some of the other more popular peanut butter beers. Like we get asked a lot without naming any names of other breweries that do famous peanut butter beers, but we get asked a lot: Is it gonna taste like this? And I say no. This is based more around a roasty coffee base than a sweet uh, milk style stout like you see for most peanut butter beers. Yeah, the, uh, most of the peanut chicken. butters have a, have a milk stout base, right? Yeah. And this you said was a brown porter This base? is a brown porter, which is actually a little more roasty than you would see most brown porters. A lot of brown porters are more caramely. This is, but, uh, uh, this complements the nut nose uh, that sounded dirty. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes beer talk does. It's <laughs> so. the nose, the peanut smell in the nose, very well. Um, usually with the milk stout, you get um, sort of a chocolate hit, so it's almost like a chocolate peanut butter milkshake kind of vibe. But this is um, this is different. Uh, just for the listeners at home, can you uh, explain the difference between a milk stout and a porter in terms of uh, what kind of uh, grains you're using? Sure. So a milk stout's usually going to have a little bit heavier body. Um, some of that's based off of your mash temperature. You mash at a really high temperature, so you leave a lot of unfermentable sugars behind. It's going to be a little bit on the sweeter side, um, darker than this, and you pack it full of lactose to definitely, it's a milk sugar, um, that, hence the name milk stout. 
gives you that creamy, creamy sweet uh, body. Where with this, the body's not as heavy as you get out of a milk stout, and we use um, a darker chocolate malt and a malt that's actually called coffee malt. So we go for more of that roasty coffee background to, to complement the peanut butter. I was gonna say it's not overdone with the peanut butter. You you bet. I mean, again, you balanced it well with the peanut butter coffee flavor. So and somehow the peanut smell sound smells um. Warm, like warm roasted peanuts almost. I'm part not of that sure might, how you get that. <laughs> I think part of that might be because I poured the flights like an hour and a half ago, and oh, these last yeah. couple of beers have warmed up a little bit. But um, just we use sauce. we use a peanut butter extract in this. Uh, I mess around with other ways of doing peanut. I, I mess with peanut flour, peanut butter, you know, roasting peanuts myself. And this was just kind of the most efficient, effective way I found to do it without. Uh, affecting the body or the head i think that's not going to be another recurring theme is that um uh, we talked about uh, a little bit about a peanut butter uh flavored beer in the last episode and we talked about you know there's a dozen ways to get your peanut flavor in there and you really have to experiment to see what works for you and what you like yep people love peanut butter who knew yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we're doing uh, around the world i know americans love peanut butter i wonder i think the rest of the world likes a nutella you know more. I wonder. Yeah. If, I wonder if anybody's going to make a Nutella flavored beer. I think they've tried. It just hasn't. Just didn't off. come out right. Yeah. And then Vegemite flavored beer probably uh, wouldn't taste very good either. <laughs> but I'm sorry. What were you going to say? About, uh, <laughs> oh, I, oh, I was just saying. One of the beers we're going to do in the near future when we have some tank space is uh, whenever we not every time, but every once in a while when we brew this, we'll break off a barrel of it onto. Um, toasted marshmallow and do a s'more we call it s'more liberty give me s'more liberty and uh we did that to kind of guide us around the path of a beer we were looking at doing down the road that we want to put in barrels it's actually going to be um like the the marshmallow peanut butter uh sandwiches you know the marshmallow puff they were famous on the east end i forget the name of them uh knuck and futters or whatever they were called but uh they were basically a a peanut butter uh marshmallow fluff Fluffernutters, that's what they were called, okay. Fluffernutters. So we're going to do a beer kind of that is loosely related to those sandwiches and put it in barrels, do it heavy and put it in barrels for a while. So Never uh, never underestimate the ability, uh, or the effectiveness rather, of harkening back to like somebody's childhood flavor. Yeah. People love that. Yeah. Um, this is a... Uh, this is really yummy. Uh, the peanut butter taste stays with you. Usually if you're talking about an aftertaste, you're talking about it in sort of a negative way. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is more like, you know, you had some peanut butter and it sort of coats coats your tongue a little bit in a, in a really positive way. It's, uh, it's not bitter, it's, it tastes almost like you had a little bit of a peanut butter sandwich. It's really awesome. nice. Glad you guys enjoy it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. That's the other thing here at the Hollywood Growler for our listeners at home. We're going to breweries that we like. We're not um, going to breweries that you know we think are gonna up our profile particularly. Maybe one day we'll be we'll have a big enough audience that we can think like that. But especially here at the beginning, we're going to breweries that have something to offer and that we really want you to come visit. So we want to thank Ryan McHugh for uh, sitting down with us today. And, uh, and and Ryan, real quick before we run out of time, uh, any events you guys are gonna be at uh, soon to be like oh, yeah. big beer events that we should look you out for or. Tell people to get to to have your beer at. 
Um, I don't know our full schedule. Um, I don't do our scheduling for our beer events, and I haven't looked at the calendar recently. But some of the big ones we always do are any of the brouhaha events. I don't okay. think we're doing Sabroso this year, but most brouhaha events you can see us at. Um, the main one to definitely look out for and help support uh, local craft beer, especially in Orange County, is going to be, if I can find my phone, I'll get you an exact date, but it's going to be the Orange County Brewers Guild Beer Fest. Okay. And that's going to kick off OC Beer Week, which is, we put OC Beer Week together to really showcase Orange County beer. So that's going to be on April 27th. And if you get on social media and just look for Orange County Brewers Guild, you can find links to the tickets for that event. Okay. But you'll get all the breweries here in Orange County and some visiting breweries from out of the county coming in for a, a good time really showcasing Orange County craft beer. So definitely look out for that one. Get some tickets. And there's a, uh, there's a good chance that if you turn out to that, you will see... Uh, Connor and I there for at least a, a day or two of that. Um, so catch up with Hollywood Growler there at the OC Beer Fest, also OC Beer Week. Thank you again uh, to Ryan McHugh and All American Brew Works. Say your dad's name for us, please. Steve. Steve McHugh. Yes. Who's one of the owners and uh, who uh, is sort of the inspiration for the for the marketing and the image here at All American Brew Works. Thanks for hanging out with us on our very second episode of uh, The Hollywood Growler, and we will see you guys soon. We're set to tape uh, next at uh, Chapman Brewing Company. Is it Chapman Brewing Company or Chapman Brewing? Chapman Brewing. Okay. That's, that's an order. <laughs> and we know it's, uh, it's Will over there that we're going to be sitting down with. So we'll, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Growler, and thank you to All American Brew Works and Ryan today for sitting with us for our second episode of the Hollywood Growler. It was a great time, uh, and uh, we got to taste a lot of great beers, and we got to meet his dad, Steve, uh, and a lot of the other people who worked there. So we just wanted to say thank you for all of your hospitality. We had a really good time. We especially got um, a little bit of a bonus. We met Alex from next door at the Honeypot Meadery, uh, and we've arranged to record an episode there uh, next week. So we are going to learn all about mead. I don't, I don't know about you, Connor, but I don't know anything about mead. I know it's sweet, but I mean, and it has alcohol. So we'll find out what we're going to, we're going to sip on this uh, next coming week here. It's going to be exciting. Uh, believe me, we, we talked to him for a little while and he's got all kinds of interesting things to tell the listeners. So we'll see you soon. Thank you again for listening to the Hollywood Growler. See you next week. Cheers.